Good day to you, and welcome to the Orchard Bible Study, the teaching ministry of Pastor Bill Salmon Sr. Today we're going to start the first part of a two-part series on worldview. Pastor Bill feels it's very important, especially considering some of the things that are occurring in our world today. Do you know what a worldview is? Do you know that everybody has one? A biblical worldview is a particular philosophy of life or our conception of the world, how things came to be, why things are the way they are, and what can we do about it. All of these questions are very important. I found an article produced by Focus on the Family from January the 1st, 2010, by an author named Del Tackett. His introduction about what a worldview is, is pretty good. I'd like to read you a couple of paragraphs that he wrote. A worldview is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. For example, a two-year-old believes he's the center of the world. A secular humanist believes the world is all that exists. And a Buddhist believes he can be liberated from suffering by self-purification. Someone with a biblical worldview believes his primary reason for existence is to love and serve God. Whether conscious or subconscious, every person has some type of worldview. A personal worldview is a combination of all you believe to be true, and what you believe becomes the driving force behind every emotion, decision, and action. Therefore, it affects your response to every area of life, from philosophy to science theology and anthropology, to economics, law, politics, art, and social order, everything. It is the interpretive lenses we use for understanding what we believe is real. From our personal worldview spring all of our actions and thoughts, and it is in unguarded moments when we can really see what we believe to be true. Mr. Tackett sums it up, and as you listen to that, I hope you can understand how important it is for us to know what our worldview is and to be able to respond correctly to Scripture, to changes in our situation, and to the things that happen in our world. Pastor Bill feels it's very important, too, and he's going to talk to us today in part one of Worldview. Let's go into the message right now to hear what he has to say. Uh, well, good evening. Welcome to the Orchard Bible Study. If you got your Bibles, and I know you do, open them up, if you would, to uh, 1 Corinthians, first chapter. going to read a few words there that I think will set the stage for where I believe God wants me to go tonight to share some thoughts with you. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to be, you may not, this may not be too uh, obvious tonight, but uh, it, it really is a foundation I want to lay, and, and we'll conclude it uh, next week on the, uh, on, on the topic that is uh, not talked too much about, but uh, it's, uh, it, it's a topic that I think is absolutely crucial, necessary, and, and the times that we're living, I taught on this, I don't know, four or five years ago, I think, but uh, it's probably more appropriate uh, now than it was then, and 
it's uh, certainly more uh, crucial now because the the fact of this is uh, it's getting in in many many circles getting weaker and weaker all the time, which is worldview. Uh, when I say worldview, most of you, if I ask you what your worldview was or is, most of you would uh, not sure you have one. But the truth of the matter is, everybody has a worldview, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, uh, committed Christian, Muslim, or whatever, you have a worldview. And uh, it behooves us to be able, as Christians, to defend our worldview. Uh, the, the, you know, they have classes in Bible schools and, and seminaries that's called apologetics, and most folks think that it has to do something with making an apology for something it does not. Apologetics simply means that you have the capacity and ability to defend your faith. Why do you believe what you believe? And I'm telling you, every Christian needs to be able to understand and comprehend and communicate why they believe what they believe. This is why I spent so much time uh, sharing with us concerning the Jesus and his trip to Caesarea Philippi, remember? Where he asked his disciples who the people around were saying that he was, and they said, well, you've impressed folk. You know, some think you're Elijah, some think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And he said, but, uh, but who do you say I am? And uh, it was Peter's response there who said, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus' response to that was, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father is in heaven. And so I challenged all of us to begin to really think about it and be able to articulate, uh, because if I ask you, who do you say he is, I'm confident everyone here would say, well, he's, he's the Son of God. But how do you know? How do you know? Do you know it because you heard the preacher say it, mama told you, grandpa talked about it? How do you know? Because I'm convinced that until that, that revelation comes from the Holy Spirit through some experience that you have had with God, you don't really know. You just have given mental assent to it, and it's not gone from that, they talk about that 18 inches from your head to your heart where you know in your knower that this is absolutely true. And I think it's a fair question uh, because we all need to be able to uh, know that we absolutely know when the going gets tough that he is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us who has come to not only reveal the nature the character, the purpose, the will and plan of God, but he's also come to reveal who it is we ought to be uh, in him and how we should, should be and ought to be living as a result of that. So, uh, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm going to begin that first chapter. I'm again and uh, read verses 18 down through uh, 25. So let's begin. For the, me for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. 
it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Father, we are grateful tonight for your word. And we ask you to sit with us, to anoint the hunk of clay that's sharing your word with this group, and let our hearts and our minds come alive to the knowledge and to the awareness of who you are and who we are in you. And our view of this world, how it came into being, what went wrong, how do we fix it? So Lord, help us as we press on. Anoint your word, anoint me, and may your, uh, your people be encouraged uh, and, and challenged as we uh, just stay in your word and share our hearts together this night. We thank you for the fruit that shall come forth from it, for we ask it and expect it in Jesus' name, and God's people all said, Amen. Amen. I want to read you a uh, church mission statement that this came from. This is a real, this is a real church, a very popular church, well-known church, big church, thriving church. This is a mission statement, okay, of why they exist. Church's missionary statement, mission statement. To prepare for Jesus' return through prayer, Bible study, worship, fellowship, and witnessing. Let me, let me read that again. To prepare for Jesus' return through prayer, Bible study, worship, fellowship, and witnessing. What do you, what's your opinion of that as a mission statement for a church? The mission statement. Is it a good one? Is it a bad one? Marvelous? I mean, what, what's wrong with it? Eating? Book of Acts is missing. Okay, that's a good, great statement. Yeah. You want to say, go ahead, nobody else is going to speak up. Same thing, it's too futuristic, it's all about there, it's all about heaven, not about here. Okay, introverted, in, 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 yeah. You all agree with that? See, all of those things, Bible study, prayer, and witnessing, you know, it's absolutely crucial. But uh, what, what about the world? What about transforming the world? What about in, in, infecting our culture that we live in? Uh, is, is that this statement is not fulfilling the Great Commission uh, to go forth and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Uh, Pastor Carl, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe, yeah, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago now, said that 
You know, if, if salvation was all there was to it, then we'll just get saved and get shot, you know, and just go on to glory. And uh, no, the, the church is, it's got a, it has a mission. And our mission is not only to change ourselves, it's to change those around us by our lifestyle, by witnessing in some of the things that, that's uh, contained in, the, in those statements. But uh, it's, it's, it's nothing wrong with it as it goes, it just does not go far enough, doesn't encompass all that we should be. Uh, Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20, don't turn right, but that's the Great Commission, whereby he said, go into all the world and uh, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've, I've been motivated and moved by this because of two things, one of which the emphasis of Pastor Carl's teachings to us have been on the sovereignty of God. And we need to understand that and live this way. I mean, I knew this in my head, but uh, I, I admit that uh, I, I've been weak probably in, uh, in the message and in, in fulfilling uh, the, the fact that I need that God, I know that God needs to be in the center in the midst of all of life, but I've not put in teaching and preaching enough emphasis on it. I really have not, and I repent of that because we we need to be about the Father's business, which is not just introverted, not just ourselves. It is about making sure when we go to heaven, we take as many folk with us as we possibly can. And we're going to do that as we live this thing out in the, in the here and now. The, the uh, uh, worldview that, uh, you know, we, we need to have a, a Christian worldview. And even the atheists and uh, agnostics and the Muslims and everybody else has got a worldview. But a worldview needs to, to, to uh, answer, you know, three basic questions. How did this all start? Where do we come from? Does, is, does God really have a plan and a purpose for my life? Uh, or is he just, he came and, and started this situation and created the world and he ran off to heaven and said, okay, do the best you can and uh, I'll see you when I return? No, he left his Holy Spirit here, the book of Acts, to instruct us and to teach us and to lead us into all truth that uh, we would know how it is we are to, to live. I've said to you before that, you know, the title of that book, because it's entitled the Acts of the, of the Disciples, it ought to be entitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Disciples. Because it's what the Holy Spirit ha is doing. In fact, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, also wrote Luke's Gospel. And he begins it by saying, hey, in the former treatise, the Gospel of Luke, I told you about all that Jesus began. Now I'm, going to t I'm telling you about what he is continuing to do, not in Jesus and not through Jesus, but through the church, which he has birthed, which he has empowered on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out uh, on that 120 in that upper room. And 120 doesn't sound like a lot of folk, and it's not a lot of folk, but that 120 challenged and changed the world. We're here because of that 120. So 120 can make a big difference. It's not... There's, a, there's 120 folk who would affiliate and associate and, and decide that, you know, even the orchard is, is how they get ministered to. So that means that the folk that are coming here to the orchard can transform this county, this state, and this nation and make a contribution and a difference. It really does. And, and we need to uh, take this, this whole plan 
uh, seriously and, and, and move forward. In Genesis chapter 1, I, want you, I want, do want to read these, so turn, uh, i got two or three scriptures we're going to turn to quickly, but turn back to Genesis, the first chapter. In, in Genesis 1-1, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, in the beginning, God. Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. In the beginning, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who is he? Jesus. In the beginning, Genesis says, in the beginning, God. John says, in the beginning was the Word. See, this is why the Word of God is so important. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we've already talked about that a Word is a thought that has been expressed. And what's being revealed in the Word of God is the heart of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. And all of that in that 14th verse here in this first chapter of John's Gospel says, And the Word became flesh, and we beheld its glory, the glory of the only begotten, the only begotten of the Father. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And all things that we see, no matter what you look, no matter where you are, what you see, all things were created by him. He made some things, but when the Bible says created, it indicates that he took nothing and made something. There was nothing here. The earth was that form and void. And God spoke it, and it came into being. That word ultimately became flesh. And he looked so dissimilar to what the religious community thought he ought to look like, act like, be like, they crucified him. Wasn't evil, pool-hole, drug-infested, whoremongers that crucified Jesus. It was the church of the day, if you will, who said you don't look anything like the Messiah ought to look. To the Jews, the cross is a what? We read? Stumbling block. They know that no Messiah in his right mind would come and go die on a cross. But he did. Stumbling block. They couldn't get through that. When he said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the response to that was, crucify him. Crucify him. No. They had their minds made up. I discovered when I began to travel with, with Earl in the early days, and I began to do the, the Bible studies and the teaching, uh, I discovered, made an 
very important discovery that the hardest people to teach in the church are those who already have their minds made up. They think they know. And often what we know is not scriptural. It's hearsay. All kinds of things are flying around that people contributed in a tribute to, uh, to scripture and it's, it's just not in there. Turning your Bibles to, uh, to Colossians for just a minute. I think, uh, well I know Carl read, read this a couple of times in his lesson. Colossians, the first chapter, verses uh, 16, 17. Well, let's back up for that. Let's begin in verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He being Jesus, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things, say all things, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. All things, what things are we talking about? Anything. Just whatever. All things were created by him, but also created for him. He is, verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Therefore, if he made all things, and he did, and they were made by him and for him, then the way to operate all things is to do it his way. And I've said a hundred times, if we do things his way, we can get his results. But if we choose to do it our way, we get our consequences. See, there, is, there are spiritual and there are natural laws. You violate either one, spiritual or natural, you're going to get hurt. There's a law that we call the law of gravity. If I climb up on the peak of this building and jump off, which way am I going to go? Up or down? You're going to go down. What happened? Why did I get hurt? Why does it hurt me to do that? Because I violated the law of gravity. Okay? There are natural laws, the law of electricity. If fans are running, the lights are on, we enjoy them. Great idea, right? Great invention. But if I climb up and take the ball boat and stick my finger in that socket, it'll hurt me. Hello? Why? I violated that law. Well, the same is true with God's spiritual laws. When he says, forgive, love, he lays it all out for us, and he not only laid it out for us, he illustrated it. The greatest confession you'll ever hear when he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. 
The power of forgiveness. We've talked about that. I talked about that some last week. Carl talk, Pastor Carl talked about it. it it's, it's stifling the church. Some of the greatest, it's not my notes, but uh, the greatest promises, I think, in the book are in, in, in 11th chapter of Mark's Gospel. Don't, don't bother to turn there. Read it when you go home. But he talks about that, whatsoever things we say when we pray, we'll have them. I mean, it says, when you say to that mountain, be removed, it'll be removed. But then the next following verses says, but if you're praying and you discover you have ought against your brother, go make it right. You know why that's there like that? Because that is the hindrance that stops those that are pre the precepts that are before it from working. Because if you don't do it his way, it won't work. We're going to get our consequences, not his results. The power of the cross is the power of forgiveness. It's the power of love. God created us. You know, people say all the time in, in other worldviews, the, the agnostics, the atheists particularly, and see, they have a worldview. It's called the natural, natural, a, a natural worldview that all of this just happened by accident. It was a process of time and nature and it, it, over millions and zillions of years changed all this. And, and presently, and I, you know, I've told you about what, what I taught on this before, about how you can go to Epcot in Florida at Disney World and go in and pay a lot of bucks to get in there and discover that we all came out of a mud pie, you know. They'll take you in this surround room that's just marvelous. It's just, and the sound just makes you, shakes you to the bones. And they'll show you this primal goo that oozed up out of the earth and lightning struck it. And bless God, through, through the process of evolution, pretty soon out jumped human beings. You know, well, monkeys first. And, and then we became, we evolved from that into human beings. If you believe that, you, you, you know, I got a bridge I want to say in New York. I mean, it takes more faith to believe that crap than it does to believe the Bible, doesn't it? See, if, if you just look around at the creation itself, you've got to know that there is intelligence, intelligence behind this, the precision of the universe, how everything operates, the seasons, the stars, the planets, the cosmos, the microscope, and, and all that is there, our lives. It's just incredible that how this all works together. Why? Because there's... Intelligent design behind it. One of, one of the arguments that I think is one of, the, one of the best, because for just practical reasons, but is the human eye, eyesight. If uh, the eye could not have evolved one part at a time, it had to come about all at once, or it wouldn't have been an eye. Another illustration, same illustration, a mousetrap. A mousetrap, one of these spring-loaded mousetraps, okay? Take one piece, no matter which piece. Take the board, take the spring, take the lever. Will it work? Will any of the one pieces? Take any one piece out, it won't work. Mousetrap couldn't be involved. It had to be somebody designed it and built a sucker, and it works. Well, somebody built the universe. His name is God, Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how it should operate. Do it this way. Get my results. You still here?
We, it behooves us to do it his way, that we might get his results. Absolutely. See, we've got to show the world that, and I've, I've said this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I didn't elaborate on it, but we've got to show the world that Christianity is more than a belief system. Christianity is more than being saved. It's a lifestyle. It's a life. It's how to live life. Are fathers and mothers good ideas for the family? Are both necessary? If they wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have done it that way. But go to these inner cities and look at how many fatherless children. When we first opened the school, when we first opened the school, 25%, this is Christians. I had interviewed one parent at least. 25% of our enrollment was a single parent situation. You want to know why we're going to hell in this nation? Because we got all these kids growing up without fathers. The Bible talks about that and it says that, hey, there's a lot of teachers. We need some fathers. We need somebody to walk the walk. We need somebody to take the authority and, 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 and bring some order into this chaos and this rebellion. And take responsibility to stop the anarchy and the, and the rebellion that's going on in our culture. When, when the leadership of this nation lets risers take over a downtown area, Seattle. See, leadership restrains people. Fathers restrain their children. Children come into the world. See, and this, and this again, this is part of that creation process. Because we have a culture today that says, no, no, no. I've had people get up and walk out on me when I say that babies come into the world alienated from God. Serious. Because they know that babies come into the world connected to God, and we all are basically good. Humankind is good. You know, somebody wrote a book and said, why is it good people do bad things? Wrong title. Somebody will write a book and say, why is it bad people do good things? They got converted. Hello. Somebody will write that book. That's, that's the answer to the world's issues. The power of the cross. Stumbling block. Can't handle it. God gave us free choice, free will. Greatest gift he gave Adam and Eve. Gave them a free will. He said, this is all yours. Tend it, take care of it. Just don't eat of that tree. For the day you eat thereof, it says in the Hebrew, the day you eat thereof, dying, you will die. The word death means separation. Dying spiritually, you will ultimately die physically. See, they ate, they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. The word means, death means separated. They were separated now from God. 
Now they do not they no, they no longer know God. Now they know about God and now they are afraid of God. Yeah, well, Pastor Bill, how do you know that? Because when God comes looking for them, where are they? Hiding from God. Hiding from God. Two points about that. One, you can't hide from God. It's impossible. Number two, you don't have to. He knows all about you and loves you anyway. He knew what they were going to do. He knew what he was going to do in response to it too. He saw the cross. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Not just when Jesus came. From the foundation of the world, the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God in the creation process had it all set up that he himself was going to send his son as he wrapped himself in flesh, was going to come into the world and pay the penalty for this sin that they committed in chapter 3. But see, the, the nature of all humanity changed in that third chapter of Genesis. We no longer know God. You have to choose to know him as he revealed himself in Christ. But you know about God, and a lot of folk are afraid of God. And a lot of folk are in church hiding from God. One of the best places in the world to hide from God is in the church. Because we look good, smell good, act good, and we just good, aren't we? No, there's none good, Jesus said, but God the Father. Did he say that? Yeah. The, uh, the, the freedom to choose that God gave them in this creation process, even the, the intellects, you know, that's a good term, I guess. But even a man named Einstein, Albert Einstein, struggled with the goodness of God because he said, how can a good God allow evil to prevail as he looked particularly at the Holocaust? Freedom to choose. Where did evil come from? Did God create evil? No. No. Evil is created whenever you disobey God. When they ate the fruit, it was a free choice. There was no, that's what freedom is. Listen to me. We talked about freedom last week. Freedom is that you have the ability to make a choice without any outside intervention. That's where they were. You could say, well, that's not true with Eve. Okay, I, I grant you that. Eve was deceived. But Adam wasn't. He's the one who was responsible. He chose to eat it. He could have stopped the fall had he said to her, God forgive her. He, he could have been the, the, the last Adam. He's the first Adam. He could have acted like Jesus, and we could have missed all this. But he joined in and ate of that forbidden fruit. And bingo, evil has come into the world. No babies come into the world. Selfish, self-centered. It's exactly what happened to mankind after the fall. Became selfish and self-centered. Before the fall, God was on the throne. He was on the throne of their hearts. After the fall, pride, self, is on the throne. What's in it for me? This individualism in America is ruining America. 
No longer e pluribus unum. It's all about me. To heck with the masses. I don't care what's good for everybody. What's in it for me? And that's the mindset. It's nothing new. Been out all along. This battle really is between these worldviews. And we need to proclaim the worldview to anybody that'll listen. And if they won't listen, tell them anyway. And you'd be amazed at how many will come around and, and, and grab a hold of that. No, uh, the, 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 the foolishness of the cross, it, it needs to be, it, it, it's not foolishness, it's, it's the way that, see, it's, it's the way that love responds to sin. It's the way love responds. When, when, when love and sin hit you know, together, it'll bleed. Your children run off and do something that breaks your heart. You'll bleed. You'll cry. You'll be in anguish. Amen? So with, with Jesus also, with God the Father. Breaks his heart. His response to sin, to all sin, is the cross. I remember some years ago when the AIDS thing was rampant. And, and, and I heard Christian people say, well, you know, this is God's judgment on the homosexuality. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. God's answer to all sin is the cross. Now, did that lifestyle cause that? Probably. But it's... God's answer to all sin is the cross. He knew that before you ever sinned. He set that in place back in Genesis. Made plans for that Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. That we might receive it. That we might receive it. The, the three points of, uh, of the worldview are number one, and this is the three questions that every worldview has to have an answer for. How did this all start? And the naturalist would say, we just came out of the slime. It's nature over millions and zillions of years. See, with this all thing, it all came into place. The Christian worldview is, no, this all started because God created. In the beginning, God. The one who was alive before the beginning. Now, I know you can't wrap your brains around that, neither can I. But he was before the beginning. He has always existed. He is God. And he has revealed himself to us through the Holy Spirit, which is a phenomenal thing. So the first statement that every worldview has to have is, how did this all start? Evolve or created? And the naturalists took a mighty big blow some years ago because there was all kinds of evidence that this thing happened all at once. And they, they called it, the, even scientists looked at this Big Bang Theory. Remember when that became, was first released? Well, that just blew science all apart because their whole philosophy had been that this thing just gradually and slowly evolved and bless God pretty soon we had this world and human beings with intelligence and feelings and emotions and uh, and then they discovered this no no there's evidence now as they looked at the cosmos 
that just happened all at once. And they called it the Big Bang Theory. Well, it was a Big Bang. And God said, let there be. Bang, and it was. That's the Big Bang. And it came in, the world came into existence. God saw that it was without form and void. And then you begin to read in Genesis. Amen? And then the third question, every, and they only, by the way, the only worldview that makes any sense is Christianity. No, no, those do don't make sense. Don't hold water. So the first thing is, how does this all start? Does it really affect me? Does God have a plan and a purpose for me? And if you don't know that, I don't care if you're 8 or 88, it is not too late to begin to hear and to walk in the plan and purpose that God has for you while you take up space on this planet. But you'd be amazed at how many people, and myself included, I was in my 40s. I had, I had no idea. Never dawned on me that God had a place and a plan and a purpose for me being here. But thank God I found it at 40. Wish I'd have found it at 15. Like some folk that I know, but I didn't. I missed it. I missed it. But thank God I found it. And God had a plan and a purpose. And for the first time in my life, I began to walk in that purpose and that plan. When I was in school in Tulsa, driving to school every morning, bawling my head off because I missed Mary Jane and the family and wanted to be back here so bad, but joy unspeakable in my heart. Because I knew that I knew for the first time in my life I was right where God wanted me to be doing what God had called me to do. That was the, the main point of the story I told you here a few weeks ago about the pastor's wife. Remember that story? Went to Will Rogers United Methodist Church. Let me highlight it quickly. Looking for a place to live. See, I was beginning to think, God, if I miss you, because I've been there two weeks and I'm still living in a motel, couldn't find an apartment, couldn't find a place to live. And uh, at Earl Tyson's suggestion, his nephew was on the staff at Will Rogers United Methodist Church. He said, why don't you go to our church and, and, and visit the church and uh, talk to Eugene, maybe somebody he knows in the congregation that would have a room they would rent you. I thought, well, that's a good idea. So the next Sunday I went to church at Will Rogers. Probably 400 people there. Three, three pastors on staff. Guy preached. It was okay. I wanted to help him a lot, but bless God, that's the nature of being a preacher. I think sometimes you... But I'm on my way out. G Eugene wasn't even there. He'd gone. He, was, he and his wife were... He, she was a great singer, and he'd been invited to preach, and she was singing somewhere else, so they wasn't even there. So I sat there and, and endured and enjoyed the service best I could. And uh, I was on my way out. And the pastor and his wife got the door, shaking hands, greeting folk, you know, saying, hey, have a great day, blah, blah, like pastors do, you know, and after service. And uh, I had already shaken his hand. She was closer to the door. I shook her hand and uh, have a great day or something, you know. And I went to let go of her hand, and she, she re-gripped my hand and said, uh, so I stopped and looked, turned to look at her, and she said, do you have plans for lunch? I said, no. Would you come home for lunch with us? Yeah, I started going back to a motel room with nothing there. And so I did. And spent uh, about three hours with him talking about the Holy Spirit. For a long time, I thought that's what it was all about. God wanted me to talk to him about the Holy Spirit, but it was about me. Hopefully something happened there too. But after the wife got me settled, she was in the kitchen. She stuck her head around the door and she said, uh, 
hope you like Carnage Hens. I said, I love Carnage Hens. Uh, she said, well, uh, well, that's good. That's what we're having. She said, I expect you're also wondering what's going on. Why I invite you to dinner? I said, well, it's crossed my mind. <laughs> she said, well, I don't know. But this morning, she said, I always, always prepare something, and usually in the oven in the crock pot, so I can set it, and dinner will be ready to eat by the time we get home from church. And she said, this morning, I, was, I took two Cornish hens out of the freezer, and I was closing the lid, and, and I heard God say to me, take out three. You're going to have company for dinner. And she said, I said, who is it, Lord? He said, I'll show you. She said, when you shook my hand, God said, it's him. Invite him for dinner. Can you imagine what that did to me? That God knew where I was. Knew what I needed. It was his way of saying to me, I'll send the ravens if that's what it takes. I have a plan for your life. Now relax. So I began to relax and had a place to live like two, three days later as something opened up. God has that, that plan and that purpose for every one of us. This is not something that's unique. It has to do with discovering, discovering God's plan for your life. Knowing that he has a niche that only you can fill. He'll fill it with somebody else, but it won't be the fit like it would be if you would respond to it first. Okay? There is a, a, a scripture that I think we sometimes uh, uh, not sure we understand it as we should. So uh, open, uh, turn in your Bibles again, if you would, to, uh, to Romans. Romans chapter 8. This is, uh, I'm sure, very familiar to most of us. Romans 8, beginning in 28 down through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, or made righteous. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is a verse, this is a scripture that a lot of folk get hung up on about when they believe in predestination. That there are some that God has predestined to be saved, and there are some just not. And that's the most ridiculous theology I can imagine. But there's, you'd be amazed at the people who believe that in this thing of predestination. But it says here, those who are, who are called and uh, I encourage you to, I'm going to give you the Strong's definition of that, of that word. The word that's been translated called uh, is, uh, I think it would be pronounced Klaitos. It's spelled K-L-A-Y-T-O-S. Strong's definition of the word called or Klaitos is, it means to call forth or to give an invitation. Wrap your brains around this. 
It means to call forth or to give an invitation. And those who respond and say yes to the invitation are then the called. You are called when you have said yes to the invitation to come to him. This is, has nothing to do with God has predestined some to be saved and, and some not to be saved. Amen? We are in, we're just encouraged to, you know, respond to that call, to say yes to that call. And it begins with the call to new birth, a new beginning. It's a call to us to go forth and make disciples. And we need to be careful how we approach this thing of making disciples and witnessing to people. There is not one package or one way that works for every situation. You, I know you, most of you realize that Nicodemus was the only person Jesus ever said to, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again, to a religious man. And he came back with an you know, ordinary, religious, hum, humanistic response. How can a man be born again? You go back in the womb again? And Jesus said, no, no, we're talking about the spirit. You know, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. But he's the only one that Jesus said, you must be born again, Nicodemus. John chapter 3. John chapter 4, he met a woman who went to get water, a Samaritan woman, and he said to her, you need some living water. Everybody he met, there was something different. What was he doing? He was meeting a need. Water was important to this lady. Why? Because she was out there in the middle of the day. You don't, you don't haul water in the middle of the day. That's not, that's, the women got water for the family. But this well was like, I think it was six, seven miles outside of the city. She's out there in the heat of the day hauling water. Why? Because she was such an outcast. Jesus approached this witnessing by saying, I need you. What did he say? How did he begin the conversation with her? Would you give me a drink? He's saying, I need you. Not your head, so I know you're awake. He's saying, I need you. Would you give me a drink? And she said, you, a Jew, asking a drink from us. You, you Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans, which was true. And Jesus said, if you knew who you're talking to, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. And he got her into this conversation. Then she wanted to get all religious and say, well, uh, well, you know, you must be a prophet. Where, where should we worship? Here or this other mountain? Favorite theological question. Jesus said, uh, go, go, go get your husband. Come on back. Don't have one. Jesus said, yep, you're right. You've had five. No, didn't bother to marry the one you're with now. She got so excited. She left her water pot, went back into the city, and notice there it says she went to the men. Because the women would scratch their eyes out, probably. She went to the men and said, listen, come see a man who knows everything about me. Told me everything I've ever done. Doesn't want to take me to bed and still loves me. That's what she was saying. This must be the Messiah. And the men went to see 
She got so excited with Jesus, she left the water pot right there and went in the city. Amazing. Amazing. And many of those men believed. Fast forward, we're not going to turn there, but first outreach from Jerusalem. Two of the first apostles went down to Samaria. Had great success, remember? All kinds of miracles happened. Why do you suppose that it was so welcomed in Samaria? I believe it was due to this woman who went back and shared with all the men all the things that he had told her. And I am quite confident she went in and sinned no more. I don't know that. But Paul, see, yeah, what I'm saying, church, we, 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 gotta, we, we just you know, run with people and, and confront them with, are you, are you saved, are you born again, or however how you... And there, there has to be an approach to this that's individualized to each need. What do you do, got to do? You've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What's he saying to you? When Paul went to Mars Hill, see, they, the Greeks, I haven't said much about the Greeks, but see, they were, they were the... See, we, I, I wanted to read that scripture because we as a people really fall into the category we have to embrace both of those. Because we get our spiritual heritage from Judaism, whether you're saved or not, but we get our intellectual freedom and our hunger for thirst and knowledge and art and literature from the Greeks. And so we have to deal with both of those, being a stomach block and foolishness to the, the, the thing of the cross. So Paul, Paul goes to Mars Hill, which is the seat of intellectual. It, it'd be like going to Harvard, the seed bit of intellectualism and, and preaching to them. And he started by saying, now think about this, here are, these, here are these intellects, because Paul saw a sign that said, uh, made a statue to the unknown God. Why, why would anybody worship an unknown God? Anybody? I, I don't have a clue. If you, if you know the answer to that, tell me. Probably what? Wanting to cover all the, that's, that could be it. But a bunch of intellectuals worshiping an unknown God. Paul said, let me tell you about him. I'm going to make him known. And they listened to him until he talked about the resurrection. Blew him out of the water. We will hear more of this next week. And so will you. You'll show up. <laughs> Make sure you got them all down. First point, worldview. Where did we come from? How did this all start? Christian worldview, creation. What happened? Why is the world in such a mess? Why we got our streets filled with rioters? Why do we have kids shooting kids? Why do we have planes flying into the World Trade Center? All the chaos that's here. Why, why, why? The fall, that's what happened. And what do we do about it? How do we fix it? Redemption. Redemption, redemption, redemption. One at a time, masses, it don't matter. But you and I have a responsibility to be a witness. This is not just about us and no more. It's about what happens to us must happen through us. Okay? 
Won't you stand and stretch as I pray and dismiss us. Father, we are so grateful that you really do have a plan and a purpose and a place for every one of us. Lord, I pray for this group that everyone here has found that place. If not, they will. Quickly. And we might go forth from this place and this hour and this time and, and begin to fulfill your call and your mission for our lives. Lord, we thank God for prayer, for Bible study, for fellowship. But we know it's not about us. It's not introverted. It is to happen through us. So let it happen through us, Lord. And often in people's lives, not much is happening through because not much has happened to Lord, do a work in all of us. Let a miraculous event solidly convince us that you really are who you said you were. We might be as Peter was. We know that we know in our knower you are Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of the living God. Your name is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that that revelation, not information, but that revelation will come to everyone in the sound of my voice. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. So what do you believe? And how do you know that your beliefs are true? What do you base your beliefs on? Maybe it's time to take a good hard look at what's in our hearts and what we really believe. As Pastor Bill's teaching us, these, these questions are so impactful for our lives, for our relationships, for our decisions. And the three questions about the worldview, how do you believe we got here? And what's wrong with our society today? And the last question, how do we fix it? Your answers to those questions will have great impact upon what you do and who you relate to and how you relate to them. These issues are really, really critical. We hope this week that you'll take some time to, to look at the scriptures, to analyze your own heart, and come to some, some conclusions that will be helpful to you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Orchard Bible Study. We hope that you'll tune in next week and connect with us. Pastor Bill will be delivering part two of his uh, series on worldview. And if you would like to hear more from Pastor Bill or some of his other guests for the Orchard Bible Study, you can find us on the web at www.theorchardministry.org. Until then, God bless you. Have a wonderful week.